0: To gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, member Escobar Houdini shares how he landed a crucial internship at a private equity firm in Germany before managing to turn one of his only interviews into an offer at a top investment bank in London. We cover why it was so easy for him to recover when his entire group was laid off at the bank, his focus on his end goal of private equity, how to navigate recruiters in the process of landing a job at a buy side firm. This is a bit of a longer episode to dive into some of the nuances of his path. Hope you guys enjoy. Great. Escobar Houdini, thank you for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Yeah, my pleasure. So it'd be great if you could just start off with uh, a quick background.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm currently based in London, working sort of as a, as a senior associate within a sector specialist private equity firm. Um, I'm, I cover primarily continental Europe, some of the UK. It, it varies depending on where you are. Um, in terms of the economy and what you're looking at within that specific sector, um, I'm a German national. I've moved to the UK about five years ago, five five and a half years ago now, and um, you know I effectively used business school here in London to break into into banking within London. I figured, you know, coming from Germany and making the transition would be extremely hard, especially unless you have a you know outstanding academic track record and outstanding internships and all these things. Um, so my case is certainly more of a hustle rather than, um, than your usual, you know, top tier university, top tier internships kind of, kind of lifestyle.
0: And in Germany, if you, if you are actually going to a top tier, you know, what they'd call target university in the U (laughs) S would it be easier to make that transition or is it still considered pretty difficult?
1: I think it's, I think it's definitely easier, but, but many of the people who would go to, you know, the target universities. Will actually end up staying in Germany because, mm-hmm. on the one hand side, you know they're deeply ingrained within their network in primarily it's Frankfurt. Um, there's bits in Munich and there's bits in Berlin, and and there's some smaller bits in other cities, but they're really, really, really regionally focused, almost exclusively on Germany. Some of the other, other German-speaking countries. Um, so I think there's there's more of a focus. To stay in Germany rather than actually breaking out into London, you do see the occasional guy you know that went through the, you know the undergrad and post grad, um, which is a typical thing in Germany. Most people will have a master 's degree going into banking um, and you 'll see them on occasion breaking into into the london
0: market and so instead of the typical four years of undergraduate then going to banking in the u s in in Germany or another Europe, I assume this is common throughout Europe, you take the four years undergrad, and then you do, uh, is it a one-year master's or a two-year master's?
1: That will actually vary. So so most commonly, it'll be a three-year undergrad, and then it'll be a two-year master if you're at a, depending on your your kind of degree. So if you're on a normal university and you do like an economics master's or a finance master's, it'll be a two-year program. Um, Oftentimes, it'll just be a one-year program within business schools. They'll have a more condensed sort of curriculum. Got which it. allows you to take, you know, rather trimesters and semesters, and um, they just really want you to push through as hard as you can and,
0: and and get into the job market. So you're you're coming from a semi-target here. How did you actually pull it off? I mean, how did you make that initial jump? That that initial leap was probably the hardest part. Am I am I accurate?
1: Exactly. So the the, the biggest trick to pull out of your hat is to get that first internship. Mm-hmm. Um, and and sort of and and that was for me, especially in Germany. That was extremely difficult. Um, that required a lot of, a lot of hustling, a lot of going out and talking to a lot, a lot of people, and it was, in my case, virtually just, yeah, speaking to as many people as I could find, getting as much information as I could gather, and you know, present yourself. Well, once you do get that rare opportunity to actually interview with the firm, I was really lucky, really lucky. Um, that I got to speak to a private equity fund and they didn't seem to mind that I had absolutely no background in banking, finance, or anything related. And um, that I was just really keen on the sector. And yeah, that got me the fund.
0: Why do you think that was? Was it just the enthusiasm you showed in the interviews? Was it how you networked or the people you knew there? Or how did, how did how do you think that came across? Why do you think they're willing to take a risk on you? Did they not really care what their interns were doing or did they actually use you for anything useful? i think that there's two
1: sides to it. obviously they want people who are able to do the work and um and they want people who are really interested in the work they're actually going to be doing um so obviously the, the the type of work you get depends on your skill levels and on your willingness to take it on i think what the firm that i started out with really liked about me is that i said you know i don't know much about it yet but guys if you just point me to it i'll figure it out and um and that's sort of the the ethos I I, I made sure to keep going because yeah you know, I think that's ultimately what's going to get you places is just the ability to say I might know something but unless I've actually done it and I've seen more experienced people do it and teach me I won't really know what it's all about.
0: So how do you feel like you got good at communicating that? Was it just practice interview practice? Was it was it something where you just naturally feel? Gifted in terms of interviewing and kind of expressing that that passion or is it something that you had to work on?
1: I think for the most part and you know, and this, this will vary for, for, for every person's view I think for the most part it's really just my eagerness to break into the field and I think I managed to get that across quite well I didn't really prepare for interviews. I personally I don't um, I don't think at these early levels, you know, do you want to have too much of prepared things you need to understand the structure, but you need to make sure you stay yourself. And I think that's what really caught on with a lot of people, because oftentimes, especially when I interview people, you know, I can, I can sense that they're telling me something that is not accurate about themselves. You know, they're telling me a story that doesn't fit to what I see and what I hear in their voices, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's I try not to genuine. make sure that I it's not stay yeah. exactly genuine and authentic. And I'd really, you know, that, that catches on with people. They really
0: enjoy that man i can't tell you how many people missed the boat on that i agree wholeheartedly it's it's something where everyone practices the technical interview questions and they master that and then they master their fit store you know they they memorize their fit stories and they go in they sound like robots and then don't understand why they don't make it to the second round or final round it's exactly. the, it's the students that have the genuine passion and the, or at least can can make it sound like they have the genuine passion and they know the technical yeah. so those are the ones that really end up going far and getting to a lot of final rounds um, and ideally offers, but anyway, so let's, let's continue. So you, you were able to land this internship. Um, it sounds like you're a fairly natural speaker. You were comfortable kind of really showing that passion genuinely. And so people kind of believed you. And so they, they took a risk on you coming from a quote, non-target or or whatever you want to call it. Um, so, so you're there at the internship, you learn maybe a little bit, you're doing some good work. Um, you you're still in Germany. Is that correct? This point that is correct yes so did you feel like did you know a all, all along hey I, I really want to get to london or was this seen as a uh, as a critical stepping stone or was it kind of you were just trying to get whatever you could
1: i think at that stage i really was just trying to get anything i can get my hand on um got it and london sort of came later because you you once you start out and sort of the first time around you just start working on a deal and you realize wow this is huge um, to you as a person you know obviously this deal never goes anywhere and you never hear about it anywhere any kind of news but to you it's huge and and as you go on as you see more and more deals you begin to realize as, especially at that time that was all pre-brexit world you know that was still when london was the center of everything it probably still is but it's fading a bit um and you realize the real action that's in london in europe in my
0: view got it so that so once you realize that was it did you kind of set a goal of, well, I guess maybe it's the first goal I, I want to just break into investment banking and the second goal being I'd love to be in London if possible. Was that kind of how it went? Like you would yeah, still, you, you still it. would have, you still would have taken a job in Germany, obviously um, in investment banking, I assume.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if if I had felt that, it, you know, that I could do some good work in Germany with, with a decent son that has a decent track record within, you know, in, in just getting deals done, I probably would have considered Spain, but um, it's, it's, it's too irregular. It's too sensitive to sort of smaller movements within sentiment that, yeah. you know, a region can be hot for a while and then a region turns cold and then your deals are just out. fading away and, yep. and you just end up doing marketing on,
0: like there's no tomorrow. Yeah, no live deals, all pitching, basically. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so- and you really don't want that. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, tell me a little bit more about um, once you this this internship ends. It's a good experience, I assume. And so, this is the summer before you graduate from your masters. Is that correct?
1: Um, This is the the, so I took a gap year in between undergrad and postgrad, and um, it's quite a long gap year. It's it's about a year and a half. So, um, Mm -hmm. so I left the undergrad um, university I was at and and moved to a different city. Moved to Frankfurt. Where I then started working, and I, I started working in in the first place, and I realised, you know, this is this this is actually really cool work, um, and this was a buy side firm. But I also realised I, compared to some of the other people I were working there, I know astonishingly little, and I have very little sort of practical practical skills. Mm-hmm. And and the key to me was, was you you got to build this out, and you can only build this out to experience. So I went around a bit, and I did, you know, I did a sales and trading internship, and I spent an M and A advisory internship as well. Um, and that that sort of cleared up the picture for me, and I, I realized, you know, um, none of these things, none of the advisory or sort of the the trading floor environment, is for me. I, yeah, you know, I have a clear view of where I want to go, and that's
0: investing. Got it. So you you were set on private equity. Um, you just knew your best path to get there was through banking, I assume
1: exactly yeah. effectively there's
0: no other way around yeah i mean it's a little more common at least in the u.s now i don't know if this is true in europe where they'll recruit out of undergrad but it's still very few funds do that i assume it's similar yeah it's, it's, yeah it's very similar to that yeah okay so you you have a few internships in germany you know one in you know, the sales and trading m&a private equity you kind of get a feel for everything which is really nice because you can kind of figure out what you want and you say hey yeah. okay so ideally i'm I'm going to london i'm going to banking and then i'm getting into private equity and you were successful in doing that can you just give me a little bit about that transition of the, the actual recruiting while in germany for london for the full-time role
1: yeah absolutely so i mean the frankfurt recruiting for full-time roles is 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 is, is, is almost not comparable to that of london because you know For most of the banks, unless it's unless it's either a German bank, which there is only one of, or it's 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 a bank that has a great German presence, there is next to no specific graduate intake beyond the summer interns. Got it. Whereas in London, you'll have also again you know it varies by bank and it varies by year, but you might have two thirds of summer interns, and then you have an additional third that comes through you know any outside route, be it through the networking or just through a graduate application. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, most of the applications will go directly online through the banks and um, through the banks um, online recruitment tools and straight to the interview rounds.
0: Okay. So can you tell me about your experience specifically? Yeah,
1: yeah um, mm-hmm. my experience was rough, to be, to be mm-hmm. honest. Um, if I found it personally, I found it really tricky because um, you know once you go once you go out of the smaller pool in Germany and into the big big pool in in London, you'll realise that there are many many candidates that are extremely well qualified and many of them will be better qualified. There's always going to be someone that is you know on paper better fit for the role. What what I think sets people apart, especially in graduate recruitment. Is, is this level of authenticity that they can convey to the interviewer. You know, I'm here because I'm really interested in this line of work and I really want to learn. But rather than saying, you know, this sounds like it's a fun career. I might be wanting you to do this in the future. You know, you, you, you have to have your mind set on it. I mean, think that, that's the key thing. So when you get into the room, once you, you know, once you drop off your applications, once you've been to the career fairs and you've done all these things, and you actually managed to get an interview, which to, to many people will be an extremely rare occurrence. Um, I can only speak for the school I went to. You know, the, Out of the entire, I don't know how many dozens or hundreds of people I graduated, eventually there was two people that went directly into the, to a banking role. Um, wow. I was one of them. And the, the other guy was actually also um, like a good friend of mine, also German. Um, and that is... Um, that is sort of the, the, the heartbreaking thing at times because you'll you'll rarely actually end up getting into that interview room, but once you're in, um, it's obviously to a great degree your technical abilities. But once again,
0: the authenticity is what will set you apart. So, how many actual interviews did you land? Was it only one? Was it only that one? Um, you- I landed two. I totally bombed the first
1: one. Like <laughs> that was arguably the worst performance of any interviewer, uh, interviewee ever.
0: Um, (laughs) tell me a little bit about that tell me a little bit about why you think that happened
1: Um, it was a phone interview I remember that Um, and I just yeah I was utterly unprepared you know quite frankly I didn't I didn't really have a good story I didn't really know much about the place I was actually interviewing with Um, and yeah, I, the technical questions were fine. I mean, they can't really ask you too many, you
0: know. So your authenticity—they didn't—they didn't believe your authenticity on that phone interview because they felt they felt uh, I think they
1: must have thought it was a joke. Um, yeah, like, that was like I was pranking them or something. Um, you know, it's, it's like, why do you want to work here? Well, you guys seem nice. Um, you know, this kind of thing. you just like, okay, that's a question I didn't expect. Um, and that was that was just a
0: terrible performance. Yeah. Do you? That surprises me a little bit. You know, speaking to you now, that you weren't prepared for that, or had you not come across Wall Street Oasis or any interview stuff? Have you had you not done any mock interviews prior to that phone, or you just you thought, oh, this is just a phone round; it's not a big deal. Exactly, that's
1: what I thought. I thought you know, it's not a big
0: deal. fun interview; you can nail this. You like so you times. kind of you kind of down downplayed it. You you're leaning a little yeah. bit too much on your likable kind of agreeableness and comfort yeah. speaking. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I, I made really that. <laughs> I made that same exact mistake in undergrad. I, 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 I kind of was doing a little too much winging it uh, early on, where I realized, like, in the second, in my second set of interviews, you know, interview nine, ten, eleven that I had were about ten times better than my first few. I'm sure the same. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So interesting. So okay, so well, you you only had a few interviews. So that that first one, you were just thinking. Hmm, dear, yeah. so, what were your thoughts, I guess, after you kind of didn't make it past the phone screen
1: i thought this was it i thought this was the end i really thought you know what have i just done to myself i could have easily stayed in frankfurt you know work work going forward
0: there so you had already Uh, moved you had already moved to london with the expectation that you exactly oh wow yeah so you took a big risk
1: absolutely yeah full speed that took probably the biggest risk I've ever taken in my life.
0: Well, where, where were you? you know, living? It's a
1: big financial commitment going to business school and you know, moving abroad, leaving everything behind, going mm. into an extremely expensive city.
0: So, um, where were you living at? Were you were just trying to? Were you in debt at this point, trying to kind of just survive? Or oh yeah, us?
1: massively, massively. Yeah. <laughs> I've taken out every single loan that was available to me. Um, oh my god! I I've, I've <laughs> That's scary. But Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's certainly not um, risk-adjusted return. I did not adjust for any kind of risk. I just went for the full degree of risk that I could find and 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 tried,
0: Yeah, great. I think I think what I missed is you had already moved to London, and that kind of helped you with the at least you were there. So uh, I think
1: that, that helps yeah.
0: immensely. Yeah, you're you're there. You could did you do a lot of kind of I know networking is very different in in London than it is in New York, but were you doing any sort of kind of coffee meetups? I know it's a little bit more um, taboo over there to be kind of aggressively networking but did you do that
1: i I really tried um but it's difficult it's really really difficult because most people will not will not make that much of an effort to set aside time unless you you know like a stellar candidate right and they can actually brag about bringing you in if you're sort of you know middle of the pack didn't go to the best school doesn't have the best internships doesn't really stand out from the crowd i'm not going to spend time on this guy Totally. Okay. That's a really hard angle to get into. So Um, um, unless you can have, you know, some kind of connection to the person you're trying to get a meeting with, it's, it's extremely hard in my experience.
0: Got it. So you had your internships, you were in business school in London, you're taking out, Mm -hmm. you're taking on a bunch of debt. Have you graduated at this point or are you kind of, you have a couple months to graduation?
1: I still had a couple of months to go. Um, and, and, and interviewing, especially in business, well, interviewing practically begins within the first few weeks of you actually getting into your classes. Um, so you'd normally start 1st of September or something, so early September you'll start. Um, it'll be your careers fairs. Some of them are
0: already in August. So right, so you, you had already missed the boat. Like, it was got, exactly. everything had already sailed. So you were, you were sticking around to finish your degree. What was the plan if you didn't land a job, just to go back um, to Germany?
1: Um, you know what? I've never thought about it. I try to stay halfway optimistic.
0: <laughs> hey, that's great. That's great. <laughs> because,
1: um, I mean, there is opportunity. I mean, there's a lot, there's sort of a very, very long tail of very small shops where you can do, you know, your typical European off-cycle internships for six months and you'll get by, you know, you won't make the full salary, you won't you won't be doing the cool things, but at least you'll be within some kind of role and you will get paid and you can somehow manage to survive. Right. That is because we know,
0: we know rent is super cheap in London, right? So it's... <laughs> it,
1: it, it, it's, it's good. Yeah. I think per square meter, it's like a dollar
0: cheaper than New York. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, so, okay. So tell me about the second interview that you, um, that you managed to land was it a surprise were you jumping up and down for joy thinking i'm going to be ready this time and how did you prepare
1: yeah yeah absolutely so this was a firm that i had met at a career fair about um four five months before where i was informed you know what there's no need to apply anymore um we filled our ranks we're done for the year i was like okay great this is really positive news from you guys happy to hear that for you um doesn't help me much um, anyway, I, I just went ahead and booked my application anyway. A couple of months later, I get this invite, you know, choose a, choose a slot to come in. Mm-hmm. And it's a massive group of people interviewing. I'm like, okay, whatever the, the person had just told me was completely inaccurate because, you know, there's like 30 people here interviewing for for a big, big day here. Um,
0: and that was for yeah, one exactly. position or that was for two positions? Did you know how many spots were open or it was just 30 people in one day kind of going through? There
1: was just... Yeah, I would say about thirty, twenty five, thirty people in one day. Um, they all look like graduates. Graduates I find you can immediately tell, um, mm-hmm. from from appearance, shakiness, sweating, <laughs> you know, just, you know, uh... scared of their life going into an <laughs> interview room. Um, you know. And um it was it was it was pretty good. It was it was a good experience, you know. It, it was much much more frenzy than sort of this first interaction I had at the careers fair. It was it was it was actually a really much more relaxed environment. I felt this wasn't quite as precious and they were more looking for people that actually fit into the
0: firm's culture. Wait a second. And, so this um, is this is your second interview, probably your last interview you're going to get, and you're not stressed out going into these interviews. Your your palms aren't sweating. You're not freaking out.
1: They are. Well, I'm not just not showing it, you know.
0: Right. So how how do you not show it? I think a lot of people. I have no with idea. I, I,
1: I just tell myself I didn't show it. Um, right. I probably did. I probably was working the worst out of everyone. Um, <laughs> But, but you know, yeah, you try and stay cool. You know, you you, you know, you just have to relax and you have to do stuff. You know, there's always another chance
0: between the um, fir- between that first phone interview where you kind of um, clearly failed and the second the mm-hmm. second live interview. Um, mm-hmm. How much time do you think you spent in terms of prep um, to get ready for this live interview?
1: Quite a lot, to be honest. Quite a lot, and um, and can I you be specific
0: do- about what you did?
1: Yeah. So I've spoken to people who had interviews, obviously, people I know that had interviews with other firms. Mm-hmm. Just so I can get a better sense of what, what I would actually be asked and sort of understand what it is like. Um, I managed to to leverage the careers resources at the at, at business school, you know, and you just have them do a mock interview with you. I mean, they don't know what it's like, but they can give you a good sort of overview of what is it, what an interview environment would feel like and where you sort of get tested on some of the things you say. And just get a bit of feel. And then, obviously, the, the key part is, is, you know, you know, Wall Street Oasis offers a lot of depth in terms of allowing you to sort of go through different experiences over the years. And you will find it's it's fairly consistent. Interviews tend to be the same for these kind of levels. and It gives you a lot of info. And that allows you to anticipate what you're going to be asked. Obviously, you've got to try and prepare your answer, but eventually, you know, you you're gonna to have to stay authentic and you're gonna try and not wing it
0: as much as you probably will end up doing. Mm-hmm. Um but was, it's were to, there any questions. That, to be key. And so you you just you <laughs> I think the mock interviews are really important to highlight here because yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, for me, when I did mock interviews, that was just huge. I just my improvement every time I did a mock interview, I felt like I improved yeah. by you know initially ten percent then another then you know five percent five percent and it adds up and yeah. you know you almost feel like you're you're twice as good or better than a lot more people versus when you first start. Do you feel like did you feel the same way and how many mock interviews did you end up doing like one, two, five
1: um I must have done just somewhere between five and ten almost
0: um, yeah that's great.
1: And and as you say, you know, this this continuous improvement from it and it comes from this immediate feedback that you get. A person that has absolutely no interest in being nice to you. you know? <laughs> yeah, it's huge. and and they will just tell you, you know, this is this is what I've asked. This is how you responded. That's complete nonsense. Right. You know, you just babbled on for two minutes about something I didn't even ask you. Make sure to stay on point. You know, or you you've responded in this kind of way. That sounded completely, you know, it sounded completely wrong. It doesn't sound like who you are. It doesn't match to anything you've said before. Careful of how you speak. Remember that your words and your tone convey a message. It's not just your words. It's not just your tone. You need to put both of them together. These are the things that I find they really help you. It's, it's a lot of pain to go through that because obviously, you know, you go to a business school, you think you're it, you know, you think you're one of the best people in the world. And then someone just tells you, you know what, that was terrible.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's really eye-opening and it's humbling, and it's, but it's, it's also how you improve a lot. It's also how you become any, you know, a much more competitive candidate with all, with everyone else out there. Um, So anyways, I I think it's critical. I think a lot of, I hope any listeners out there that do have interviews coming up, you guys, you know, whether it's pairing up with a friend, a mentor, anybody, just make sure you do mocks, not just study the technicals and, you know, memorize your answers. Um, So anyways, so you're, you're in this interview, anything unexpected that was asked to you, and after all that prep, was there any curve balls that were thrown your way or did you feel pretty comfortable throughout?
1: The level of comfort I had was extremely high. It was surprisingly high. Um, there were no no sort of curveballs, nothing mean, nothing you know, mouse baited. I mean, I had one guy that just insisted on speaking into my CV, so he would just hold a piece of paper in front of his mouth. I don't know if it was a thing of his of his own or if he was trying to throw me off. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was the that was the worst thing that happened. I think it's yeah, you know, he was just trying out some new interview
0: tactics. Um, did you ever have uh, yeah. any good cop, bad cop? Did you have like a um, two, two-on-one type of situation where there's one person being nice to you and one person is being a jerk?
1: I never had that, but I've heard about that happening. I've had that. Um, I've never had it personally because I don't think I would deal with that particularly well. It's um, it's
0: tough. It's tough. Um, yeah, I've been in that situation. <laughs> it was not <laughs> pleasant. Anyways, so okay, great. So you had a high level of comfort. It's probably why you got the offer. Um, it yeah. sounds like you were just... Smooth, smiling, genuine—you yeah. uh, really came across as your authentic self. Tell me about that feeling when you get the call, I assume, or the, or the email. Tell me, tell me how that went down.
1: That um, I was actually out that night. I was at a concert, and um, I just looked at my phone. And I got I got a voicemail saying, "Hey, we need to speak." Um, it sounded moderately sort of negative, and you know, it's like, "Hey, I have got bad news for you, guy." Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I've never been through this before, so I had no idea. I, you know, I was thinking, oh man, he's going to call me and tell me I don't have a job. Um, mm-hmm. And then eventually, sort of after a couple of hours, it, it kept me up all night. After a couple of hours, I realised, you know what? If I'm about one of 30 people that day, they probably have been interviewing a whole week. Yeah, they're never going to call anybody to tell them they don't have a job. Um, and that was fairly a for me in that moment. And yeah, the next morning I called the guy, and he said, hey, you know, we really liked you. We wanted you to come on board. Um, welcome to the team. It's amazing. And the feeling for that the relief you get from that is is amazing. You know, it's a great feeling because you feel like you know this is the biggest step that you had to take, and you somehow managed
0: to take it. For sure, for sure. I think it's that's incredible. That must have been. I remember when I got got the offer, the first offer, and it's just it's euphoric. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> so I guess. Um, Great. So you kind of went through the traditional. Was it the traditional banking, you know, one on one you hear about in the forums, where you're just working the long hours? You start there. You know, once you graduate, did you have any time off before? I'd love to hear a little bit more about that.
1: I had absolutely no time off. It actually overlapped with my um, with my with my degree. Not oh, brutal. Um, I ended up writing an absolutely exquisite master's thesis in three days. <laughs> um and, and and yeah, that that was that was the worst part about it. Um so I, I wrote it and I, rem- I, I just stumbled, like, and I got a move a couple of days ago I stumbled over over the copy of it and, and the comments on it, one of the comments on it was this piece of work is disturbingly vague. And I, I was like, Yeah, well I wrote it in three days, buddy. Um <laughs>
0: Amazing. So you you got, you got through it. You got your degree though. That's what matters, right? Um, you passed and then we don't talk about the GPA. (laughs) Fair enough. So you're, you're through your, you've already started to work. Tell me a little bit about the the deal. Were were you pitching a lot initially? How was, how was business?
1: Um, it was really odd because I was the only one that was speaking German on the team. Um, and it was a big team, big team, of about 35 people. So a bit more than 35 at the time even. Mm -hmm. Um, and for me, it was it was being plunged in as the only one that wasn't a summer intern before, um, into that sector specific team, and I felt a bit sort of on the outside of everything. And what really helped me is to just, you know, whenever you get a chance, speak to someone. If you can, if if someone asks you, hey, do you want to grab a coffee? Definitely do that. No matter how busy you are, try and squeeze five minutes in with that person. Get to know them, and see, you know. See that you can get yourself into the group a bit more, especially if you're in a situation where you feel like you're on the outside. Make sure that you're an interesting person and that you, you, know, you are a reasonably eager person to work with. The thing is, be the kind of person that everyone wants to work with and make sure your work so, You know, There's two things. You need to be reasonably inquisitive and reasonably um, engaging with people, but don't overdo it. Mm-hmm. Don't constantly try and network. Make sure you get your work done as well.
0: And in terms of getting the work done, can you share the hours that you were working in that first year, approximately?
1: Um, it varied a lot, but it, it, it was constantly above sort of 70 to 80 hours. You, you'd work a good normal day with about between somewhere around 8 to 9 a.m. And the big rush home, especially among sort of the analysts, would be between 12 and 2 a.m. Rarely would it be past two a.m. I mean, you do have sort of your your once or twice a month you'll stay all night and you'll just take the six a.m. cab home and you just jump in the shower and come back. Um, but you know that's not out of the ordinary.
0: Be honest, do you miss those days? Not even one bit. <laughs> Neither do I. Uh, anyway, so you're so you're going through this this banking scene. Tell me a little bit about kind of what your next step was, what the what the thinking was, and then kind of how you. Um, let's let's start talking a little bit about your transition into into private equity.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um so the place I was at wasn't performing well overall. Um eventually everyone got let go. Um within my vertical, that was fun. I mean, especially ten months on the desk, twelve months on the desk. You find out you know you've just been happy for a year and now you're incredibly sad because you don't have a job anymore. Um and you're really, really struggling to find sort of the find Meaning in what you've just spent a whole year of your life literally 24 7 on. Um, that, that, yeah, that's that's heartbreaking. Um, you get really, really drunk and you move on, and, then, and that's it. You get that one day where you can just, you know, be upset and and you know,
0: was there, forget everything? Was there any warning coming before the whole team was let go, or is it just like, did it just get dropped on you and then two weeks later you're out, or was um, it immediate? We,
1: there was a lot of rumors going on at the time already. Um, there was big discussions going on. Um, so they had a first round of redundancies, I think, back in December or so. Those were the performance-based ones. Um, that actually hit some of the analysts as well, some of the first year analysts. Um, and then they had another round. When was that? Um, that was in April, that year. So about four or five months later, they've had the second round, and that was the big round. You know, It was just a massive cut across everything. Um, and how much warning yeah, did you we, have? How much warning?
0: You already knew. So, did you have time to prepare? Like, were you actually out looking? Was everyone out looking, kind of interviewing for other positions?
1: I think people were already looking. Um, obviously, I didn't think I was going to get. I was going to get the cut. Um, who, 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 who your cheap labor,
0: yeah. Your cheap labor for yeah, exactly. Bank. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, surprising.
1: I was just hoping I, I could. somehow get through. I thought if I just keep keep on working, you know, no one's going to notice that I'm still here. Um, that was a stupid <laughs> idea by the way don't do that um, um, so, so yeah eventually I mean eventually everyone got got let go of that day it was all done in one day um, mm-hmm. and you don't need to come back anymore or anything you just you know leave your blackberry behind and yeah those are the blackberry days too um, you're and, dating yourself yeah, you, just, yeah, you just deal with it
0: yeah and so um, what was your next step and did you have any money saved up Was was debt still kind of hanging over your head At this point.
1: Oh yeah, the the debt was massively. Hang on, that was the biggest thing for me at the time. I was just going absolutely. I was going crazy because I thought, you know, I just started repaying this on on decent rates. You know, I'm I'm getting, I'm making, you know, progress here, and all of a sudden, well, there's no more progress to be made because I've got about 90
0: days left before I don't get paid anymore. So there was a three month severance with this. Exactly, that was was, what do you call in the UK It's gardening leave. Got it. And so, so and so they just send you home. Did you feel confident that you could land something else, or was this a, a bad time for other banks as well?
1: It wasn't so bad, because the next day, the phone started ringing already, and people heard about it. You know, this was a big issue um, mm-hmm. in the city. Everyone heard of it, and all the headhunters obviously were very keen to get you on the phone, get you into the interview room, and move you on
0: as quickly as possible. Right. So you started getting lined up right away. Exactly. It was, okay. it was pretty quick. To be honest, I was quite lucky with that. I don't know if you were you're lucky. I think the initial getting through that initial kind of being the only one selected out of thirty people in that live interview—that was probably skill and luck. And then, and then actually, once you're in, I think you have that brand. You know, once you got in, it's like everyone wants you. It's similar yeah. here in the US. It's once you're an experienced analyst, it's like you're a hot commodity for everything. For, yeah. for other banks, or private Absolutely. equity, and so that doesn't surprise me it's similar there okay so it tell me a little bit about the the next stint in banking how was that any different culturally um, and then specifically how you started either and you had kind of had the initial goal of going to private equity so when did you start kind of planning for that and how did you do that
1: yeah I, I my mind was always on private equity even to you know the first few months already I was trying to work out you know what are the, some of the kind of terms that go for first second year analysts um, especially within my sector and, and just try and, you know, get a bit of a head start on everyone else, try and talk to people. And um, there were a handful of good head that would give you really good advice on these things, and they said, you know, most people will look for someone with deal experience, much rather than brand, um, especially within your sector, especially within the mid-market. They want deal guys. You know, they want guys that can easily talk to, you know, a 55-year-old CEO like, it, like it's their best friend,
0: did and you, they can did
1: convey you convey
0: a good message did you Sorry? did you get any deal experience at that first stint, or was it mostly pitching?
1: It was mostly pitching, to be honest. Um, okay. There was some deal experience in moss, but um, but the thing that I realized where where I would struggle going forward is, you know, you're in a massive team. Your deal teams are six, seven, eight people for no reasons. You'll end up as an analyst, just moving your work up to the associate that moves it on to. The VP, he moves it onto the MD. The MD shuts it back down and it just lands with you again after, you know, four or five turns in the middle. It makes no sense. You know, you right. could have just done that directly. Yeah. Um, and I realized, you know what, if you want proper experience, go for a smaller thumb. Go for a team where you can talk to the MD, you know, where he's actually a person that you're aware of. Um, I mean, during my, just to give you an example on this, during my, of um, my exit interview, if you will, the global head of the team spoke to me, and you know, he said to me first thing, "I know we haven't spoken before." Um, you know, I was at the firm for ten months, twelve months almost, and i have never even seen the guy. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a big difference, and that was important for me to in my, in my next move is to make sure, you know, when you work with someone, work with someone that has something to say, don't work with someone that's two years older than you.
0: Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Yeah, that's a good point. And then specifically, how did you set yourself up for that? Was it mostly just looking, you know, keep keeping your eyes open for more of these kind of smaller boutique banks?
1: That yeah, to... absolutely. And and talk to people that you know. Talk to people that have done, the, you know, talk to your VPs that you work with. Look where they're going and ask them, why are you going there? Or, you know, I'm looking for this kind of firm. Who do you know? Do you know this MD? Is this a good guy? You know, mm-hmm. does he do a lot of deals? Does she do a lot of deals? Um, and I think that's extremely helpful because you'll find there are places out there that have very little or almost no reputation on the outside. But once you're within a specific sector, within a specific even subsector, you'll find that a lot of the mid market guys especially have absolutely stellar reputations and they'll get they'll get really good deals and they'll have a very, very high frequency of deals as well.
0: Yeah, and sometimes the revenue per cap per banker there is much higher than at the the larger bulge brackets larger firm yeah
1: sometimes it's and, not even comparable some of these yeah. guys will absolutely bring in money
0: like <laughs> no one else in the city can right it's interesting so so you're at this yeah, smaller firm and you're you're doing you're doing well hopefully more live deals and then when yeah. how long do you wait before you kind of do you start talking to headhunters immediately once you're at this second bank do you wait six months or what's the cycle like the um, for, for private equity recruiting I know in in the U.S., it has shifted incredibly early. People are getting recruited 18 months or earlier than 18 months. So basically, they're on the desk. Within six months, they're getting recruited for private equity. How about what's it like over there?
1: For me, it wasn't quite like that. It wasn't that early. There mm-hmm. is, I can see a sense of people trying to get people in earlier. I can see firms trying to move it forward, but I don't think it's quite as early as within your first year. They really want you to at least get two good years of work. And so they'll come to you at about 12 months in, 18 months in. And um, also the, the sort of the lead time to you leaving your old firm and joining a buy-side firm is not that long. So for me, it was just a one-month break, if you will, um, mm-hmm. so, where, where I received my buy-side offer, handed in my notice, and, and left my old firm and started at a new job.
0: Got it. And so can you tell me a little bit more about that process? Was it through a recruiter? Was it through networking? How did how did that work?
1: Um, for, for private equity, I think it's effectively, uh, for the most part, it, it's through a recruiter. And there's, and there's a vast, vast sort of difference between recruiters. You'll have your, your handful of really good guys, guys that understand what you're trying to do, guys that know what the what the hiring firm is looking for. And then there's guys that will be, virtually pedal anything they can find at you and it'll mostly be things that aren't even related to who you are. They won't bother reading your profile or anything. They'll just throw everything at you and see the sticks. So make sure you don't waste time on those guys. Um be very specific, be very articulate. I mean, you have made it that far. Show that you belong, you know. Show that you know what you're looking for and speak to the right people.
0: Um with initial networking. The- were the initial meetings with the recruiters, did you feel they were almost like interviews themselves? Were they intense? Were they kind of almost like more casual, but you knew how important they were? Or how did that work?
1: Absolutely. yeah, Absolutely. Because the good recruiters, they will always want to meet you first. They will want to meet you in person. Mm-hmm. They will not just do this through email. They will want to see you, and they want to see how you talk to them about this specific role. They want you to, you know, they want you to be the kind of person that goes in, knows the firm, knows exactly what they do, and is very, very comfortable in explaining their motivation. They will test you hard on the motivation. They obviously won't test you on your technical skills. Um, you know, waste of time for both, both parties involved. But they want to see a guy that, or a person that can, that can really clearly outline, you know, why are you here today?
0: And when, when you answer that question, do you <laughs> have to be very specific or were you very specific about only private equity? Or were you able to say, you know, I'm open to hedge funds as well? or did you um, yeah go for ahead. me with
1: always private equity i've had very little interest in hedge funds. um i yeah what's, every, every what's every your thought on that do you, new,
0: what's your thought on that if you if someone was interested in either or do you feel like it mm-hmm. might hurt them if they kind of said both do you feel like there was there was actually a benefit to being so focused
1: i think it's i think it's advantageous to be focused mm-hmm. because fundamentally in my view the two the two types of investing are completely different. And Absolutely, yep. I find, for, I think, the main difference is, is a hedge fund at times will be an antagonistic investor, which means they will not necessarily agree with what's going on at the firm, and they will be happy to disagree on that. A private equity firm will always seek a partnership with management or with their co-owners or with the founders or whoever they're working with. Because the ultimate goal is to drive the firm forward, whereas the hedge fund see an opportunity to increase value in a much shorter time frame. Mm-hmm. I think that's a key difference, and that's the difference in mentality. And if you, if you find yourself ambivalent between the two, that might be the case for you. But in most cases, if you say that to someone else, especially someone interviewing you, they will question your actual motivation because they will question whether you're just looking for a big check
0: rather than actually doing the work. Yeah, whether that, you, you whether know, actually you understand, understand what yeah, exactly. Yeah. what whether you actually stand under, you know, understand what each of the roles actually entails because they're so different. You know, they're both investing yeah. roles but they're just like you said it's um it's a very different process. So in, in terms of um, the actual recruiting process, so you were speaking to recruiters, you made a good impression, started getting some some interviews. Can you tell me about how many interviews you got and, and what the experience was like at, the, at these different funds? Were there modeling tests? Gone. Were there cases? What, what was yeah. thrown at you? What, what, what surprised me the most is how eager most firms were to get me into the
1: interview room very quickly. Um, Especially from my experience for graduate recruiting, I thought, you know, I'm never going to get an interview at any good buy-side shop. You know, I've just been let go by one firm. I've gone to a much smaller firm. No one's going to care. That was completely wrong. Firms are really, really keen to get you in normally if you've got a good profile and you seem like a – and if the headhunter can obviously talk through your profile. You know, this is a really good guy. This is a really good person to get this job. You should listen to them. You should speak to them, find out if there's a fit.
0: So you feel, you feel like you were able to make that impression for the headhunters to actually push you hard? Or do you feel like you, yeah. your deal experience from, say, the second firm, the live deal experience, was enough on the resume or a combination of both?
1: It, I think it was a combination of both. Okay. Um, so they'll obviously they'll obviously exclude you from any kind of interviews if you have absolutely no deal experience or very little. Right. Um, and they'll and then vice versa, they'll exclude you or the headhunter won't even shortlist you if, if the, the headhunter doesn't feel like you're a good fit at the firm. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's really important to understand. These guys determine how you are presented to your potential new employer. Um and and it's your job to make that first impression before you even meet the firm. And that's the head under in my view.
0: Absolutely. So um the specific process, you're you know, they're clearly pushing mm-hmm. you. So you're getting interviews. How many interviews did you do? Did you get one offer? Did you stop after the first one? Give me a little bit of background in terms of the numbers and, and what was thrown at you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I've had more than 10 different firms, absolutely. So it, it wow. was, there was a lot of traction. And um, in, in, in a combination of both, it was either generalist funds or sector-specific funds even. And it wasn't even my natural, my, my or my investment banking sector. There was other sectors as well that was just look for someone with, you know, with a decent background mm-hmm. that can do the work, that can do the job, and that's really keen and motivated and you know, high-energy kind of person that they want to work with. Um, the processes would generally be fairly similar, I'd say. So normally, you'll meet someone around the mid-level kind of employee, sort of your VPs up to principal. Mm-hmm. And in the first conversation, it'll be them explaining to you what they do. And that's a great opportunity for you to, one, learn a lot and, to make yourself interesting by asking good questions, by being inquisitive about how they do things, why they do so, and spending your time wisely because you have an hour um, and that's all you get. And that's one hour to make a good impression before you actually move on to important stages. Um, There'll generally be very little technical stuff, in my experience, Mm -hmm. um, because they'll put you into either a case study or a modeling test and and that'll answer most of their questions in terms of your technical abilities
0: and when is that given after if you make it to the second round or third round yeah yeah
1: exactly it's normally second or third round you'll okay. end up doing you know just a computer-based test or you get like a take-home case study
0: yeah like a 24-hour like you gotta get it back within 24 hours something um, or
1: it, it could be five hours it could be 24 hours it Got could it. be two days so, um, so tell there, me, there's some degree of variance.
0: So, around ten firms, did, did you get more than one offer? Did you get one offer? How did it? How did that pan out? I,
1: I eventually stopped after that one offer with my um, at the time number one firm. That was that was the one firm I wanted to work for. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I was lucky enough to go through all the endless rounds. I mean, there's a lot of rounds to go
0: through in private equity. Um,
1: how many and, rounds yeah. would
0: you say were for the one you ended up taking? How many rounds was you, that one specifically? You, um, it was seven or eight
1: rounds. And Are I've you serious? Seven three, or eight? Nearly 15, 17, 18 people. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Just, I mean, the view is you have to meet everyone. Everyone has to give a thumbs up on you.
0: And so um, that that process had to be a good, at least two months, three months. Am I right? Or is it, do they condense it, Yeah. It? it
1: was about, what was it, about six weeks to eight weeks?
0: It wasn't that's, too that's bad. still pretty fast, though, for that many rounds. I'm yes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So they were, 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 stay uh, flexible. Yeah. How many people were kind of up against you, do you think, in that process? And how many um, how many associates were they hiring? So they they would hire two a year, one in winter, one in summer. Got um, it. So you, it was one spot many, basically, and the headhunter
1: filters out a lot because I eventually, obviously, ended up you know interviewing all the associates that would come in. Yep. Um, it would be probably five, six, seven guys they would interview for this
0: one role at a time. Got it. Okay, so it, getting into the interview room seems like that's your already your your chances are. It's a tough it's tough because the people who are in there are probably really good too. Um, so your odds are still against you, but it sounds like it's not, it's not as if there's 20 or 30 other people in that. Exactly. So that's good.
1: Exactly. You are part of a very, very select group already.
0: Got it. Okay. And then, um, tell me why you think you got the offer.
1: I think it was, you know, you know, at the risk of me repeating myself, but it, Most buy side firms will want to see a natural investor, a person who's really, really interested in investing and that understands what it entails. It's a person that is clearly able to move on from advisory to making, you know, decisions as as a person who is responsible, you know, Mm -hmm. as a person who understands risks that they have to take and they understand who and what they're working for. Because you are still, you know, the fiduciary of someone else's money. You know, it's not right. your own money that you're investing in. You're not sitting at your own computer at home. You still have a great responsibility and that requires a lot of maturity, a lot of um yeah, authenticity. If you if you're gonna, you know, just try and get by, it's not gonna work and you're gonna and you're gonna stand out like a sore thumb. It's 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 obvious to everyone that's interviewing you.
0: Got it. And so you had kind of been Gunning for this position for many years at this point, so you were you were ready when you got into that room. It sounds like so. So tell me, is there anything you know before we end? You know, I would love to do another call with you at some point to dive a little bit more into the day to day aspects of of PE and stuff. I I really like. um, I really like this chat, but could you share just uh, some words of wisdom? I know this this uh, podcast is more focused around the recruiting of banking and the transition and the struggles that you went through. But anything you want to leave the listeners with uh, in terms of um, one piece of advice you may have given your younger self?
1: Yeah. The one thing that I've worked out later on that a lot of people have told me and I've realized when I was interviewing people is if you're in the room already, if they invited you to an interview, they can see you working there. They've already made up their mind that you are a very, very strong candidate and the job is yours to lose. Great. That is absolutely key. Once you understand that you're in the room already, you can have this job. I find that to be very comforting and very sort of soothing and it slows you down a bit in terms of not being quite as nervous anymore. You don't have anything to prove. You've proven it already. Now back it up. Be authentic and be specific about what you want and how you get that across.
0: Yeah. I think that mindset is key. Absolutely key. I think I agree with you. It just allows you to kind of go in with that comfort, be a normal human being um, and, and come across that way. I think a lot of people, especially coming out of undergrad, it's, it's hard. It's a hard ask to do that. I think it might be a little bit easier cause you had a little bit, you were a little bit more mature, You had a little bit, you know, an extra year. Um, but yeah, I, I think if you can, if you pull that off, it's absolutely a hundred percent. Anyways, I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, this went on longer than usual, but because I, I found it so interesting. But thanks again and let's let's do it again sometime. Absolutely. My pleasure. Awesome, man. Talk soon. Cheers. And thanks to you, my listeners. If you have any feedback at all, please send it through Patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. And remember, you can book time with this specific guest or any one of our 270 mentors by going to services find your mentor. Take care.